0: you find a great find at Goodwill, at an estate sale, at a yard sale, whatnot. And then when you get an offer, it's really an adrenaline rush. And that's kind of what drew me in and just being able to learn about new brands and fashion trends. It's what I love to do. Welcome to the Social Complex podcast, where we are diving into the complex impact and influence of social media on brands, brains, and the bigger picture of our modern world. Here's your host, Hillary Applegate
1: what what <laughs> i can't i can't i really wanted to but i can't i ain't no macklemore but we all know thrift shop and uh we're gonna get ready to pop some tags and grab the 20 dollar bills in your pocket because we're diving into the wild world of thrift shopping on social media with Bree wolver of the popular instagram page that girl thrifts Brie brings a unique experience as a digital marketer in big tech with a side hustle as an online thrift shopper. Her weekends are spent hunting for treasure in thrift shops and reselling them online, which is both a passion project and one that's great for sustainability. She's not alone, though. With nearly 5 million hashtags used, there are plenty of consumers out there who buy their products hashtag thrifted. Bree has used social media to build community in the reseller world, share her expertise in the space with others, and even uses her social media profile as a first dibs space for her most loyal customers. We discuss our background as college sorority sisters, roommates, and friends talk shop about the parallels between the reseller community and big tech, how this community of loyal resellers navigated the pandemic when in-store shopping came to a halt, and where there's a missing opportunity in the thrift world for better innovation online. Bree's unique experience in both tech and fashion as a marketer and entrepreneur brought some fresh perspectives to this episode. She even name drops some super cool tools that you may not even know existed, that are sure to change the shopping experience for all retailers. Buckle up and let's dive in. Bree, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So much to discuss today. Brie and I are sorority sisters. Shout out to 80pi at U of A. What was our chapter? Delta Gamma?
0: Yeah, the Delta Gamma chapter.
1: Yeah, baby. What up? So, <laughs> Bray and I have known each other for over a decade, which is crazy to say.
0: Yeah, we're <gasps> old.
1: I know. I'm not ready for it. I think that as I'm getting older, the less okay I'm getting with getting older. I don't really understand how that operates. Really?
0: I feel the opposite. Yeah, Like, really?
1: How Yeah, so? I'm just
0: like, I don't know. I just feel like forever I was dreading turning 30, you know, and I'm just like embracing it now. The 30s, our 30s are going to be like the best decade. I can feel it.
1: I really need to take a chapter out of your book right now. because I'm feeling (laughs) all sorts of sour about it. (laughs) But Brie has an incredible background. And not only does she work in marketing, uh, but she also has her own side hustle. So I'm not going to talk about you. I'm going to let you talk about yourself. Brie, give a little bit of background information on who is Brie Wolver.
0: Okay. Well, I'll start from the beginning or from our U of A days. So as Hillary said, we were sorority sisters. We were roommates at one point, but um, I went to the University of Arizona and I majored in family studies and human development. So how did I get into marketing is <laughs> like the million dollar Question I ask myself. But I've always been super fascinated with marketing, with social media. And when I was in college, I actually had an internship doing public relations at a nonprofit. And I thought, I'll just go ahead and marry my interest in nonprofit with my love of social and marketing. But the reality of it is that there's not a ton of money in a nonprofit it's
1: incredibly difficult to make a career that's sustainable for your lifestyle. And, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a personal decision. I've known so many people who have gone into nonprofit and had to get out of it just because they couldn't afford the bills. And it's just the way of the world. And it's unfortunate, but it's a harsh reality of it.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I think it's just, I was fascinated by learning about people, because you really learn about relationships and families and I had a family member who worked for a nonprofit. And so that's why I majored in family studies. But I feel like when we were graduating around 2014, that's when social media was really like popping up, Twitter and Instagram. Like I look at my Instagram from (laughs) when it was first a thing. And my first post was of Taco Bell because we used to go to Taco Bell at night. Honestly, on brand. (laughs) On brand. I love that. Yeah. So anyways, I was always fascinated by that. But then I went to a career fair and there weren't a whole lot of nonprofits there. And I came across a tech company who I work for now. And I thought, oh, this is super interesting. I was kind of starstruck by their name. So I jumped in and started working there. And when I say I jumped in and started working, I was on the phones taking like technical support phone calls, like starting at the bottom. And through my time there, I actually um, did some social work on the side, which didn't last for too long, but it's definitely a part of my journey where I partnered with a nonprofit. It was a dog rescue and I did Twitter for them. So I posted about dogs that were up for rescue events they were having because I was still super interested in social media. Fast forward a few years, I did get into marketing at the same company, but I do email marketing, which is a little different than social still super interested in social. And so organically, I just kind of got into thrifting and just selling stuff out of my own closet is what sparked that. Actually, we were redoing the floors in our house. We had to take all of our clothes out of our closet. And I said, hey, I'm going to try to sell something on Poshmark. I was surprised how quickly it sold. My husband and I were like, maybe we can go to Goodwill and find stuff to resell. So we started doing that. Someone at work actually told me about someone that they knew that did the same thing and had a YouTube channel about it. So I started like binge watching their YouTube channel, found the reseller community, literally hashtag reseller community on Instagram. And yeah, my social journey as that girl thrifts really took off from there.
1: What drew you to keep researching and looking more into thrifting in the first place once you discovered it?
0: It's hard to explain, but it's obviously thrifting is so good for the environment and it's sustainable fashion. And there's so much waste that comes from clothing and people throwing away clothes or, you know, there's just an excess of clothing in the world, but it's really like the thrill of it. You find a great find at Goodwill, at an estate sale, at a yard sale, whatnot, And then when you get an offer, it's really an adrenaline rush. And that's kind of what drew me in. And just being able to learn about new brands and fashion trends, it's what I love to do.
1: How much research are you doing now that you've really gotten into it per week, would you say, to keep your profiles up to speed and your closet, as they would call it? uh, up to date
0: with trends? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. Um, definitely not as much as I used to do, but I think like Instagram does a great job of helping me with that because, um, like I mentioned, the reseller community has a big presence on Instagram and it's really knowledgeable. So a lot of resellers out there will share what's selling new brands they're finding. So even if I'm going on my phone and just clicking through stories, if I spend like 30 minutes to an hour each night doing that, chances are I will learn something and take away. Um, I also listen to a lot of thrifting podcasts, like resellers have created podcasts where I learn about trends and um, just everyday life too, like even watching TV shows on Netflix, um, Sweet Magnolias, they have some good fashion in that. Um, so I don't know if I can put a number on it, but I think I would say at least an hour a day. But it's like I said, you you get research from so many other places that you don't even realize it.
1: Do you find that when you're now watching TV or you're looking at magazines or you're seeing the Academy Awards that all of a sudden you're mm-hmm. looking at it through a different lens now?
0: Yes. So I'll give you an example. Um, have you watched the show All-American?
1: No, I haven't it? seen
0: it. Okay. So it's on... I don't know what channel it's on, but it hits Netflix, and it's about um, a teenager in high school who plays football, and they're from Crenshaw in, I think, California, right? And um, they, they show that, you know, he doesn't have a lot growing up, and his family kind of is stretched thin for money, but I notice his mom wears mother jeans, which I don't know if you're familiar with the brand. I am. Yeah, like sold out revolve high end. And so like, it's those things, even watching like the bachelor bachelorette, I pick up on like, logos and things that they're wearing. Yeah, totally.
1: Do you love that? Or do you find it almost invasive where your brain can't turn off?
0: I enjoy it. Um, because, again, that's like where you're continuously learning too. I've found things before too, thrifting that I don't know if you're familiar with Google Lens. You know, you snap a picture, go to Google and it will like do an online search for the item. And a lot of times it'll say like shown on TV or worn on TV where it will say like, hey, this piece was worn by Hannah Brown on The Bachelor. What? And so, yeah, like it's a, it's there's a site dedicated to what people wear on TV. That's insane. I didn't know that. Yeah, then because if you're watching like TV and you see someone wearing something and like what are the chances that you see either a style similar or that same piece at a thrift store on clearance at a retail store it's like I think it's so cool.
1: <laughs> that is super cool. And so you operate mainly out of Poshmark, correct?
0: Yeah, so I have I'm on three platforms, um Poshmark, eBay, and New to Etsy because I'm trying to expand into vintage.
1: I love it. Tell us about the differences between those three platforms and why you have those differentiating outlets.
0: Yes. So, first and foremost, I'd say Poshmark is like my number one. It's my main um, source of reselling income, if you will. But really, it comes down to the demographic and who's shopping on the platforms. So, Poshmark is a lot more. I would say millennial focused, their app is kind of like, well, they market themselves pretty much as like a social app. So if you have listings on there, um, you can share them. And the thought is that they're higher in the search feed. So if someone's searching for an item, say Lululemon leggings, and you just shared your listing, that's Lululemon leggings, it'll come up higher. So it's more of like a platform where it encourages engagement and it encourages you to connect with other people, like you can leave their called love notes after you purchase something once you accept it, which is essentially like a feedback or a rating. So that's, I would say the main piece of Poshmark. While eBay is a lot more, the best word I can use is it's a mature platform. So I know a lot of people will sell like career wear. So maybe more prevalent when more people were working in an office setting, but like, and tailored older types of brands that may be not be worn by like millennials and people our age, maybe some, but not all. And I find that those types of brands do better. And then also vintage pieces do better on eBay. So it's just a different demographic completely. Whereas Etsy, that's a platform where. You can go if you're making things, which I don't make anything, but it's for makers and for vintage. So I primarily list all my vintage on Etsy.
1: That's really cool. And it's interesting that you say that Poshmark has the social component to it where people can share and communicate with one another and that it also sinks into search. So I always call like Pinterest and YouTube pseudo search platforms because it's generally Mm -hmm. someone looking for something with intention and then that's how they're going to discover it. Do you find that that would be a similar categorization for Poshmark?
0: Yeah, it definitely could be. Um, Full transparency, there's been a lot of changes with search on Poshmark. So the whole idea about sharing and staying relevant, if you will, in the search is an important component. But I think one of the pain points with the platform is actually, if you're searching for something in particular, it's harder to find. Tell me more. Well, there's something that's going on right now in the Poshmark world. And this is really where the reseller community ties in because it's like the reseller community is so unique in that um, they're really transparent on social. And I mean, I play into that too, but as an example, there's some algorithm changes going on with Poshmark right now. Normally they encourage, for example, a listing title to be super descriptive, right? Like new with tags, Levi's, wedgie jeans, light blue size 26, right? Super descriptive because that kind of plays into the social media, not social media, SEO aspect, right? And one of the things of Poshmark is if you're shopping on Google and searching, you probably always see a listing from Poshmark. But what has been happening lately is if you're searching on there, there's listings that are coming up that are not descriptive, which is crazy. I'm trying to think what I sold. I sold something the other day where I was just testing the waters and I the title I put was literally spiritual gangster jogger set. And super vague title and it's sold. And so the reseller community that I mentioned surfaces these algorithm changes and talk, they talk about it on Instagram. And that's how I find out about it. So I think Poshmark is going through, I don't know, it's like a transformational period where they're trying to adjust something with the search and the algorithm, but there's been a lot of people, including myself, saying it's it's really hard to find certain things on Poshmark right now. That's interesting you say
1: that because I actually was having a really hard time. My brother is getting married in a few months and I am in the wedding party. So I have to find a dress and I always try to sell my stuff on Poshmark if it's a dress that I'm not going to wear again. And I'm having the darnest time finding a dark green dress that is the formality that I want in the size that I need And I'm getting all these like weird things that I'm like, what is this? This isn't what I need. And then I keep scrolling and eventually I do find it. But I'm having a darn time with it.
0: So it's just an interesting time for the platform, I think. How has it changed over the
1: life cycle that you have been working on the platform?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, um, sharing your closet has always been such an important component. And I really wouldn't say it hasn't changed that much until now. Like whenever you do a search on Poshmark, your default filter or search setting is just shared, which rewards people who are sharing more. Um, But like I was saying how search has changed, it's starting to share based on recommended. So I don't know if that means the search is like, has to be trained, like, I don't know. We're talking about machine learning and marketing. Like a but... TikTok feed? Yeah, I, gu- I, I guess. I'm not even on TikTok. That's oh my
1: gosh, <laughs> Brie. We are talking about that after this. We need to be on TikTok.
0: I know. There's so many like trends on there too that I hear about that. Like for even fashion, like I should know. Someone on this
1: podcast said that – it, it. I think it was Sarah. She said that it was Gen Z's language was the, like how you speak on – TikTok regardless of what generation you are so especially from a trends Mm -hmm. perspective I mean
0: there's a lot going on there yeah I literally not to change the subject or dive into TikTok but I was at a Goodwill once (laughs) I use my Instagram story sometimes as like a baseline for should I pick something up to resell if I'm unsure about it and I normally do this for things that seem trendy to me and so one day I was at Goodwill and I saw this dress and it had strawberries on it and there was like sequins and it was like so pretty and cute and I snapped a picture of it and I posted it on my Instagram story and was like should I get this or saw this today but I didn't pick it up was the moral of the story and more than one person messaged me and they were like that dress was all over TikTok. Oh, no way. <laughs> and then I started looking on Poshmark, and you can see what sold and look at like the comps. And I was like, this Goodwill is like 30 minutes away from me. Do I chance it and try to go back and grab the dress?
1: <laughs> oh my gosh. That would have been epic. I'm assuming you didn't go back.
0: I called them, and the dress was already gone. So oh, that's more efficient. Yeah. But that's why I'm like, I keep saying I need to get on TikTok because of trends, but I'm like, so scared that it's going to be a time suck.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you think it's going to be a time suck? Why? What makes you feel that way?
0: Because I hear all these stories about people like, I don't even know if it's like you scroll on TikTok. It's how like, I don't know. It's just like getting lost in it. And I'm like, well, I could try and like set a timer on my phone or You know, but I'm like, it's just another platform I have to manage.
1: (laughs) That's true. How many platforms are you on right now?
0: Well, Instagram is my main platform for reselling, but it's hard because it's a battle in my head because I'm like, this is my side hustle. So at the end of the day, do I want to put my time and effort into a bunch of social platforms where, you know, I have the potential to make some money. Or do I put my time and effort into reselling platforms like Poshmark, eBay, Etsy, where I make the most money out of my side hustle? So
1: that's a tough balance to strike. How do you navigate that balance?
0: I try to prioritize my mornings, actually. Like I try to I'm a very, you know, this from like living with me and just being friends that I'm a pretty planny person, type A.
1: Yeah, you are. Um
0: <laughs> I used to have a schedule for when I would post on my feed. I would try to do Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I I just am not doing that as much. But I try to, you know, get up early, like an hour earlier than I typically would. And I try to either list or I try to post a reel or do something in the morning. But I, I would say I still try to like show my face or post some stories during the day at the bare minimum in terms of Instagram. But at the end of the day, I I do try to prioritize like new listings, like shipping what's sold because, you know, that's kind of my main job with reselling.
1: Thinking about it from a sales funnel, essentially, and how you're using Mm -hmm. social media to help support this side hustle in some form or fashion, where do you see social helping you like most importantly do you see it more as an awareness driver a thought leader driver or do you actually see it really translate to sales for the business
0: so it really depends what type of account you want to have and i think i may have mentioned this to you in passing but from my perspective there's really two types of social accounts in the reseller space Like if you're a reseller and you want to have an account on Instagram, you really fall into two buckets. It's either one, you are like a clothing brand where you are doing story sales. So you take to your Instagram stories to say, here's what I'm selling. Here's the item. It's this much money. And you're really branding yourself that way. Or where I think the majority of the reselling community, myself included, is you kind of take people along with your, on your journey. Like, I'm going thrifting today. Here's what I'm doing. I inventoried, you know, these items. I shipped these items. And there are some people that kind of mix the two where they're still very transparent about their world and their day to day, but they still have story sales. For me, I found that I'm transparent, I do hauls of what I'm picking up. And I do see that a lot of the time that does translate into people wanting to purchase from me. And I can give better deals to people through Instagram because send them an invoice. I don't have to pay the platform fees, you know, that Poshmark charges that eBay charges. Um, But for me, Instagram is like a place where I can learn about new trends, new brands, but I can also teach people what I have learned, or if I found a new brand outsourcing. So it's not all about the sales.
1: Let's talk about that a little bit more, because I would look at you from an outsider looking in and say that you seem like you have a sphere of influence in the thrifting space. And I've seen your videos that you do so well, as far as explaining your process and really gearing towards people who are interested in getting involved into it. How did you fall into that? Was it intentional or was it just a product of your interest?
0: Yeah, so I'll tell you a story about how my Instagram started. And I think like I was thinking about this the other day, like how I got to where I am with my account. And I think I mentioned earlier on that I found someone on YouTube that would go to Goodwills and resell and then stumbled um, upon the reseller community. And actually early on, I took a course about Instagram and in that course, it reiterated talk to your audience and find what their pain points are and then craft your posts and your content around those three main pain points. And so I think that's really what like shaped the content that I put out and why I started to go down like the education side of it. I saw that I got good engagement doing that. I also saw, like, the, I would say the first post that went viral in a sense was I literally posted a picture of my Starbucks coffee in front of a shoe rack at Goodwill. And my caption was, Double tap if you're thrifting this weekend.
1: Oh my gosh, that's and,
0: so funny! So simple. So simple. So I saw that it was like a mix. Like people like to see the content in the thrift store and what I was finding, but also mixed with helping people at that point, it was pre COVID. We were working in offices. One of my pain points was how do I balance working full time and reselling? And I talked a lot about that. And so I think that even though I may try other types of content, like I don't know, a story sale, like I mentioned. I always come back to um, educational content and like sharing my experiences because I've found that's what makes me the happiest and what does the best engagement-wise.
1: That's really interesting that you have found the education to be the value point and that you can, as a consumer yourself, put yourself in the shoes of what it is that's going to be the most pain or some some pain points that you might face and what you would consider your audience might face too. When it came to COVID, how did that impact the thrifting community?
0: Yeah. So this is really interesting, I think, because obviously um, Goodwills, granted in Arizona, they didn't shut down for that long, <laughs> but they shut down. And um, at that time, I really leaned into there's Liquidation companies that you can buy um, like boxes from. You don't know exactly what you're getting, but they could be like Nordstrom house brands. They're called brands sold at Nordstrom. So I got a couple of those. But what is really interesting is I found a Facebook group called is something like Thrifting from Your Couch or Couch Thrifters, and the whole premise was um, we're all home because of COVID like, let's list things that we have to sell. And so people would just be like, I'm doing a live thrift is what I think they called it. And they would post pictures of the different things they were selling. So let's say it was like a J crew top, and they would say J crew top $5. And then people would comment and say claim. So it was like the first person who said claim would get the item. And so I did a lot of like, Facebook thrifting, which was super interesting, where you could thrift from your couch. I ordered some things on ThreadUp that I mean you can resell from really anywhere if you set your mind to it. Um, so I leaned into thrifting online, but I won't lie, it was challenging because my handle on Instagram is that girl thrifts. Like I couldn't share content of me going out thrifting. So I did my best to share my journey and how I was trying to adapt to being home.
1: That's really interesting that the Facebook groups turned into essentially a live auction.
0: Yeah, that's basically what it
1: was. I'm curious how those groups grew. How did you even find out about that group in the first place?
0: Someone that I follow on Instagram told me, she DM'd me and was like, hey, um, this is happening. And it kind of turned into where it would be like Friday night you pour a glass of wine and you would partake in thrifting from your couch. That's
1: fascinating.
0: (laughs) Very fascinating. So, um, then, I mean, as things went on, I started, um, like sourcing from Facebook marketplace more. Um, I found some people that were either they were moving or getting rid of stuff in bulk and I would buy from them and kind of sort all the clothes and, um, get inventory that way but I was really happy when thrifting came back and even like garage sales because it was outside so it was a lot it felt a lot safer anyway
1: when would you say that it started to pick back up again after the shutdown in May or March of 2020
0: Mm, so I would say I remember I think the first time I went thrifting after was like July because I remember we went Troy, my husband is also a bit of a thrifter. <laughs> so we like to go on little road trips and go thrifting. We went to Flagstaff for 4th of July.
1: That's the perfect getaway and and also the perfect pairing because I feel like thrifting takes a lot of time and, and energy.
0: Yes. It's not
1: for the faint <laughs> of heart. You have to love it.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's like, I I will say these days I'm enjoying like estate sales and garage sales because they don't require as much effort, if you will, like you still have to be knowledgeable. But yeah, it's exhausting to go shopping all day. You wouldn't think it is. But yeah, your arms start to hurt going through the racks after a while. I
1: can only imagine. I've thought about it in the past, but I don't have it doesn't light my fire like it lights yours. But that's partially why I'm so fascinated in how you use the platforms and how you're using that community because it is so different than what I'm used to. Or that what I've been exposed to. So I love hearing about it. And with it sounds like the thrifting community really leans on social platforms to stay connected with one another. We've heard about Facebook groups. We've heard about Instagram. How else is that community staying connected with each other and really leaning on each other for support and education?
0: Yeah. So a couple ways. There was a season. I would say. Um, And I think part of it was actually during COVID, like in the beginning stages of it, where a lot of people were putting out courses, like through Teachable. And I took a course on ThreadUp because you can send clothes to them and sell on there. But a lot of people would use Instagram to share their courses that were on Teachable. Have you talked about Clubhouse at all on this podcast? No, but please dive in. Okay, so I will admit I haven't used Clubhouse as much as I used to. But when Clubhouse first becoming like really popular, at least in the reseller space, it was I think it was the beginning of 2021. And even still today, I get the notifications, a lot of resellers will have like co working spaces in there, where they will just um, like have a room and they'll be like listing independently, but they'll have a room to talk. I've been in rooms where they do interview panels or they do rooms about certain brands, trends, etc. So that's definitely a unique space that when it first came out, I was really interested in because it's like you just pop your headphones in, go for a walk, do whatever.
1: For anyone who doesn't know what Clubhouse is, what is it?
0: Yeah, so it's like an audio only I don't know, is it it considered social media?
1: Yeah, I would consider it social media. I consider social anywhere where people can come together, share ideas, build community, have connections with one another. That's, to me, social.
0: Okay, I love that. Then, yes, it's a social platform where it's audio only, and it works in the sense of, and I hope it still works this way, because it's been a while, like I said, but you can create a room, if you will, and then you have like a panel of people that are on the virtual stage and then you have an audience and people in the audience can hit a button where they raise their hand because they want to come on stage and say something. And the panel of people on the stage can invite them on the stage. And it's essentially a chat room. There's no video. I don't know if you can record on there now, but it was just voice only. Clubhouse was
1: such an anomaly for me. I I wanted to get in. I got in and then I was like, "Uh, uh, okay." (laughs) For me personally, I didn't but I didn't have a community that was really calling my name on there. So it's cool to hear that you had thrifting on there and that you still do get notifications on it.
0: Yeah, I don't think I would be on it if it weren't for reselling, um, but there's been some pretty cool people on there that I've listened to, like Tori Birch was on there. She probably still is on there from time to time. Nice Rebecca cool. Minkoff, really cool.
1: So you're, yeah, you're getting access to designers that are legendary that you normally wouldn't really be able to hear from. And you can also ask questions too, right? You can raise your hand and you can become a part of the conversation in different ways.
0: Yeah, totally. You can engage if you want to. Yeah. That's so cool.
1: I feel like that's what a lot of companies started to try to do when it came to like Instagram stories, for example, or Instagram Live or TikTok Live. Everyone tried to have that dynamic where you can sit and interact and ask questions and get access to people. But Clubhouse definitely has a unique taste on it take on it taste. <laughs> a unique taste. Of the of the audio only platform, because with podcasting, you don't get that direct feedback either. You record an episode like we are now, we get it live and then eventually we're going to hear feedback on it. But there's no like at the same time that you're recording style. So I do like that they broke out in that way.
0: Yes, I would say the only downfall it where I prefer a podcast more is like if I'm doing something and I like miss what they're saying, you can't pause it or like rewind. It's all live.
1: Yeah, that The one downfall. That definitely is the one downfall. That makes it a really big challenge. So aside from Clubhouse and Instagram and Facebook groups, are there any other platforms that are really popular among the thrifting community?
0: Yeah, I would say YouTube. Um I'm not sure how... Popular it is now. I think it's still pretty popular, but in the beginning, I really relied on that platform to learn because a lot of resellers would do what sold videos where they would share what's selling, and that gives you the best understanding of not only what brands are selling, what trends, um, and it teaches you a lot. A lot of people would post like thrift with me, so they would kind of take you on their journey to finding new inventory. Um, And I, I mean, I do think it's pretty popular. But I know of people who, who used to use YouTube who don't use it anymore, at least to put content out. But that was something I relied pretty heavily on when I first started.
1: Do you find that the buyers that you're working with when you're thrifting are also people that are interested in thrifting themselves? Or is it mostly people who aren't thrifting? Or is it a combination?
0: I would say it's probably a combination, but I think it's more people who don't thrift because in my opinion, people who shop on like Poshmark and eBay, they're people looking for a deal, right? Like if they weren't, they would just purchase something full price retail that, or, you know, they are dedicated to sustainability efforts. But I think a lot of people don't have the patience to go out there and dig for deals at a thrift store. So I think at least the people that purchase from me probably lean more to the not interested in thrifting universe.
1: Interesting. Very peculiar. Thank you for sharing. Since this is a little bit timely, you know that Instagram came out with the chronological feed again, so that people can choose if they want to do chronological or if they want to do their algorithmic feed. Have you noticed a change since that's come out?
0: Well, in all fairness, I recently saw that I got the chronological feed rollout, right? Because if you if you tap on your profile name or your handle, it says, what, favorites or following. Mm-hmm. So I noticed that I just had it for the first time last night, and I haven't played around with it yet.
1: Um, on my personal feed, I just took a nosedive on my engagement after it came and I don't really Uh care about my personal feed because that's just for, you know, me, myself and I as like a scrapbook, but I posted a picture from this weekend and it was really cute and I swear my engagement was cut in like a quarter of what it usually is. Really? Yeah. So I'm watching out for the brands that I work with just to see what's happening. And I don't have enough data to be able to tell if it was just like a fluke or if it's going to be a thing. But I've warned a lot of my clients that if chronological stays, then the volume play is going to have to come back up because it used to be so much emphasis on the quality of the content. But now it's on the timing and the frequency of the content to be able to get more so That's so
0: interesting. I'll be curious I'm gonna to see if you notice
1: anything with that.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna have to pay attention to that because one thing I noticed with like the popularity of reels, when I first started my account, I was getting probably like two to three hundred new followers a week. Like I had pretty good engagement. And then, you know, things kind of leveled off. And then when I started posting reels, that engagement was similar to the engagement I got when I first started my account.
1: Interesting.
0: Um, so I'm going to have to do some investigative work on the chronological feed.
1: Yeah, take a look. Has your growth still been consistent since you've been posting reels, or do you feel like it started to level off a little bit again?
0: Yeah, it depends on the reel, <laughs> honestly. Um, I had one reel that went, I would say, viral. And I got a boatload of new followers. I think I had like 9,000 likes on it. And so I got a boatload of new followers. And then I still get like good views and engagement. But right now I'd say my following has been pretty consistent for the last couple of weeks. Which makes
1: sense. It's an ebb and flow all the time on what it does. Do you take your social media audience anywhere offline, especially knowing that you work in email marketing? Do you have an email list?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm awful. No, I don't. Well, okay. So I work in the tech space. And so I'll just say this. The company that I work for, we provide a lot of tools for small businesses. And I use a lot of those tools myself. And I do have a website, which I need to update, full transparency. And at one point I was focused on collecting emails and setting up an email list but for me again it just comes down to like my priorities and how much time I have because my time is limited and I'm the type of person who I get really excited about new things and then I stretch myself too thin so my I think it was my word of 2021 was simple like simplicity trying to keep things simple and not overwhelm myself so I may revisit it in the future but also with the reselling community, you have to find a way to stand out because there's so many people doing the same thing. And I I am on a few email lists and, and they're nice and they're informational, but it's like, what exactly will the return on my investment be? You know, I don't, I don't know what that would really look like. And maybe I need to take time to figure it out, but
1: no, I think that's a really good point too. And it almost gets back to you know, the original career path, which is how am I really going to be able to sustain this with, Mm -hmm. you know, what am I, what am I really going to be able to get out of it? No matter how much you want to do it, no matter how much, you know, it's right. No matter how much, you know, it's the thing to do. There's a huge difference between the resources that you actually have to be able to run a business and versus what you should do if you had all the resources in the world. So you're absolutely making the right choice as far as, limiting what you can and can't do or what you will and won't do and I think that that is a nice alleviation of pressure too for other folks in other industries who might not necessarily have the same grace with themselves as they would with someone else where they're saying of course you shouldn't you should spend time with your husband you shouldn't be (laughs) setting up your email list like obviously yeah you know life life happens first
0: (laughs) yeah Troy's always like you're always on your phone. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, I have my reselling platforms, my Instagram. So yeah, I'm trying to find that balance still.
1: It is a balance and it's always a work in progress. And social media doesn't always help that just because you are always looking out for what is happening. And, you know, like your hesitation with TikTok is completely understandable. TikTok is a time suck, but it depends on how you use it and if it's the right platform for you um, based on what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're looking for something that's fresh and trendy and you want to give it a shot, no harm, no foul. But if you're knowing that you need to put your eggs in other baskets and prioritize other things, I think that your word simplicity is the perfect, perfect approach to all of that. So with reselling, how, Do you think the community and the practice itself is going to evolve in the next few years?
0: I think it's kind of a mixed bag because I've been, so I've had my reselling account since 2018 and in the, how many years is that? I don't know, four years maybe? Yeah, four years. I've actually seen, I can think of two accounts in particular who were Full-time resellers, they did that for a living, which is very common. One of them actually totally rebranded herself and she is a style or home decor account. And um, it's been interesting because a lot of people, they'll set up their reselling Instagrams with like branded Poshmark, like Posh Arizona. I don't know if that's an account, but it's like their identity is in Poshmark. And this particular person had a similar identity like that and totally flipped the script and transitioned into like being a content creator, blogger, about home decor, lifestyle, that type of thing, which is really cool. But my point in saying that is a lot of times people come in and out of the space. I think especially during COVID times, there was a lot more people jumping on the reseller bandwagon, I guess I can say, because you know, people were maybe working in the service industry, and they were not able to work at the time. And so they tried reselling, or, um, you know, they see a viral TikTok about reselling or a viral reel or something, and they get interested in it, and they give it a shot. And for a while, there's a lot of people doing it. it dilutes things, if you will. And I think, that once people see that it's fun, but it's a lot of hard work, they kind of transition out into something else. As far as what reselling will look like, I think it'll still be around. Like you look at eBay and my mom was on eBay, which is why I had an eBay account. Like that was like 20 years ago. So I think it'll always be around, but I'm also noticing that these small business owners and resellers now that we're doing like more markets outdoors are like looking at spaces of being like a vendor and bringing back that like brick and mortar feel. So even for myself, I'm interested in like being a vendor somewhere or having a physical space. So I think it'll be interesting just to watch how things translate from being primarily online only to maybe a mix in the future.
1: That's really interesting to hear about Brick and Mortar coming back. I would completely agree with you. And I also think that there's more opportunities for digital experience in Brick and Mortar too. I mean, QR codes made a comeback, which is wild. Mm -hmm. QR codes really thrived in the pandemic and still probably will. So it's interesting to hear you talk about that. When it comes to your unique experience with working in big tech and then also having this niche community, what are some lessons from big tech from a marketing perspective that you think would be really beneficial for these small niche communities who are trying to thrive online to know?
0: So the first thing that comes to my mind is, the word experimentation. So um, in my role, uh, in my job, we do a lot of experimenting. So however that could translate to a smaller niche community, I think that a lot of like small business owners and resellers can take that as a lesson to be learned. I don't know if that really answers your question well, but like when I think of doing things or making a change in my business, I always think of like, let's try this out, see what happens. If it's a winner, then let's like keep rolling with it. But that's what I take out of it because the world of technology and marketing and platform is always changing. So you have to like evolve and try new things.
1: I feel like you have a really unique experience because you do bring the big tech portion of your career, your main career and your full-time work. And you're able to take that application and that knowledge and put it into thrifting, which a lot of people might not have that same overlap of experience. And I think sometimes we downplay how much we learn in our career careers. Like even as a, you know, manager how that's going to affect your interpersonal relationships because you're learning how to better communicate or how to better frame things in a way that employees are going to understand. So I think there's a lot more crossover when you do have a side hustle that has some translation to how you're going to interact. And I think that your experimentation approach is definitely you feel a lot more free to try and almost play around with it and see what's going to stick and see what's not, but you're not tied to it where some people are going to throw themselves in off the deep end and marry themselves to an approach for a year that might not be serving them. So it's interesting that that was the word Mm -hmm. you chose.
0: Yeah. And even like thinking about my small business and my side hustle and how that benefits me in my role at a corporate job, it's like there's crossover there too. Like, even something as simple as talking on Instagram stories, like that helps me speak better in meetings that I'm in and helps me better present myself. So it's just funny. There's crossover between the two. When I interviewed for my job, I literally used my side hustle as it's my first job in marketing. I'm like, well, I'm marketing myself on Instagram. Like I have I think at the time I had like 2,400 followers. So I used that to my advantage and it worked.
1: (laughs) I love that. I love that so much. I love the crossover and it's natural. And also that you work in a company and an organization that is going to be supportive of you and that side hustle that you are doing so that you feel good about being able to talk about it and not have it be like a in-the-closet sort of ordeal.
0: Totally. Super supportive. We have like a employee group for entrepreneurs. So it's oh. it's really unique and cool to see.
1: I love that so much. So since you know so much about the different thrifting apps, social media sites, where's the missing space? Where's the gray space that has an opportunity for a tool, a software, a social platform, a community, anything to come in and really shake up what is going on in the thrifting community?
0: Wow, that's a great question. The first thing that comes to mind is, and I haven't talked about these other platforms I use, but when you resell or just like, whatever, you don't have to be a reseller. If you sell on Poshmark or eBay, like from your personal closet, there's a term called cross listing. And so if I post something on Poshmark, I want to post the same thing on eBay. I want to post that same thing on Etsy. So you could take the manual approach of copying and pasting, it takes forever. So today I use those platforms that I mentioned, but there's also additional tools that I use. One is a cross-lister. So I actually like upload all my photos and list from this app, and it pushes the listing onto the different platforms. Aside from that, I use another tool to share my closet. It automatically shares my closet. It automatically sends offers out to people who have liked things on Poshmark. And so I think there's definitely opportunity to consolidate all of those tools. And I know that Poshmark has made attempts to roll this out and maybe there's bigger plans in the future, but um, there's really an opportunity for a platform that has those tools, but also has like the backbone to support customers and the customer experience. Because I look at Poshmark and... They're a big platform that really backs their seller community. So then you look at eBay and they will always side with your buyer, with the buyer first over the seller. And so there's all these pros and cons of each platform um, and different tools that people use in tandem. So I think just being able to combine it all in one place is definitely needed. One thing I also just thought of was, this might be backtracking a little, but I think it's important to share. With Poshmark, because it's a social platform, they, pre-COVID, used to also have, they're called PoshFest, which is like live in-person events where you could meet your, they're called PFF. Wait, did I say that right? Poshmark, it's like Poshmark BFF. Your Poshmark friends in, in real life, which is such a bizarre thing, but I... Yeah, it's crazy. But I think there's like a lot of opportunity that people can learn and take from these different platforms to create a platform that creates community that has all the tools that resellers need, supports sellers, etc. Those
1: are two very unique and interesting ideas that I would love to see if they come to fruition. And I love to see new platforms in the space really shake it up, especially if Poshmark can't figure out their algorithm. We're going to have issues.
0: Yeah. Or like take Troy, my husband, he goes through waves of selling on eBay where he he's always saying, I'm going to start my own platform because um, he, you know, has some problems and buyers try to return items or open a case with him. And then eBay sides with the buyer. And that's Mm -hmm. frustrating if you're like, doing this full time or part time. So I definitely think there's space for another platform to come in. But like these platforms we use today, I would say are pretty well established. So you hear about new ones coming up all the time that cater to different niches like vintage or whatnot. But it's like, how do you survive long term, I think is the question.
1: Well, that sounds like a great way for us to get back on the mic when those platforms do come out and we can talk about how it's changed yeah, I love that. Bree, thank you so much for
0: coming on the pod.
1: Where can people find you on social media?
0: Yes, yeah, so you can find me on Instagram That girl thrifts. I'm also, if you want to check out my closet, Poshmark and EBay and Etsy, that girl thrift is where you can find me.
1: Bree, you're the best. Thanks again and have a
0: wonderful rest of your day. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This was fun. <laughs> Thank
1: you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Social Complex Podcast. Your support means the world to me. So, if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, be sure to leave a five star rating and subscribe to our show. We'll be releasing a new episode every Tuesday, bringing you various stories. Deep dives and discussions around the complexities of social media in our modern world. To follow along for more, be sure to follow us at Your Social HQ on Instagram or check out Social HQ at www.yoursocialhq.com. I'm your host, Hilary Applegate, and I'll see you back here next week. Stay sane out there. This episode of The Social Complex was produced by You Lucky Dog Podcasts. Do you love recording your podcast, but the idea of mixing and editing makes you want to pull your hair out? Well, you're in luck. Whether you're just getting started or looking for help with an already established show, You Lucky Dog Podcast can help take your content to the next level. Put your show in the hands of experienced professionals so you can focus on creating and having fun. Visit YouLuckyDogPodcast.com and book your podcast consultation today. That's YouLuckyDogPodcast.com.